Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, October 2nd, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. In a bipartisan effort, bipartisan, yay, to do away with the Cadillac tax, Cadillacs, so indulgent, Congress rolled back the idea to tax expensive health care plans. But Zeke Emanuel and Bob Kocher, I think, maybe, I hope, architects of the Affordable Health Care Act, do in the New York Times lay out a case defending the Cadillac tax, why it shouldn't be repealed. I'll summarize. Taxes, any taxes, disincentivize things. And this thing is very, very generous health care plans. These health care plans don't need to be so generous. And if you disincentivize companies from giving that to their employees, the companies will spend their money elsewhere, like in salaries for everyone. Vox looks at their argument and Vox says, yes, those two guys are pretty much right. The Cadillac tax isn't bad. But think about this. The people who benefit are kind of a hypothetical everyone a little bit. But the people who get hurt if you take away the tax are union members and very rich people. And guess who's going to win that fight? The very rich people. I get that. But what I want to talk about is the Cadillac part. Cadillac, is that still the go-to for luxury? First of all, Cadillacs aren't even that popular. So I guess that means they're exclusive. But the most popular type of Cadillac sold in January of 2015 was the Cadillac SRX. It retails from between $38,000 to $52,000. Now, I want you to know, the number one type of automobile at all sold in America is the Ford F-Series. There are a lot of different cars in the F-Series. The F-150 sells for between twenty-seven dollars and $56,000. So on the high end, end, that's more expensive than the most popular Cadillac is on the high end. If you want to talk about the Ford F450, that goes from between fifty-three dollars to $65,000. So you can't buy a Ford F450 that's cheaper than a Cadillac SRX. Of course, Ford knows this, so they tell us through the person of spokesbully Dennis Leary, that that money you're spending on your Ford, you need to spend that. Okay, odds are if you're one of the people in America with a pickup truck, it ain't a luxury, it's a way of life. Which is sort of the Marco Rubio boat argument. Now, if you want to talk about the Cadillac Escalade, it is expensive. It goes from between seventy-four dollars to $93,000. But if you look at the other cars that it's competing with, the Mercedes-Benz G-Class, that sells for $116,000. And you got your Land Rover Range Rover, starts at eighty-five, goes up to... So the Cadillac tax might be unpopular. Cadillacs themselves, I'm not saying they're affordable, but compared to many other vehicles, they're doing okay. But ask yourself, if this plan were to kill the Chevy Silverado tax, retail price up to $53,000, where do you think the argument goes? In the spiel today, I will keep up with this theme of bipartisanship. Insofar, I document the death of bipartisanship. But first, a new study purports to show the epidemic of sexual assault on campus. We will dig deeper into those numbers. (music) 
The headlines in college papers throughout the country about a new survey are reflected in this Columbia Spectator headline. Columbia AAU survey data shows one in four undergraduate women experience sexual assault. USA Today echoed that. Controversial one in five sexual assault statistic validated in new national survey. So both the one in four and the one in five statistic were validated. But what is the AAU and what did the survey really show? Joining me now is Emily Yaffe, who writes about this and similar issues, really the whole world of issues for Slate. Hello, Emily. Hi, Mike. All right. Let's start with the AAU. What's that? The Association of American Universities. It's a membership organization of some of the country's leading research universities. Okay, so the big universities, the ones we've heard about, the places that are selective colleges, they're all in that? All the Ivy League is in it, uh, Caltech, University of Michigan, you know, are very prestigious institutions of higher education. Okay. And so what did the survey actually show? Well, the survey has so many numbers that basically whatever you're looking for, you can find. But as you said, headlines all over the country were blaring one in four, one in five undergraduate females sexually assaulted during their college years. Now this often controversial one in five number that's been debunked has been proved. Not the case. The AAU itself said it would be oversimplistic and misleading to say that this survey has confirmed that number. The AAU had a 19% response rate to this survey, which went out to 27 of the universities in their membership. 150,000 students did answer this survey, Mm -hmm. but they were trying to get about 800,000 to answer it. So they had a very low response rate, which really skews the results. I guess logically you would say it skews it that if you were uh, a victim of a sexual assault, you'd be much more likely to report than if you weren't. I have read some arguments saying you might be so traumatized you wouldn't want to. Maybe in a couple cases, but I would think that it would lead to over-reporting of people who want to say something. Well, the authors of the survey themselves tried to do some follow-up mm-hmm. to determine which way is it. it. Does it not matter? Would the survey not have been any different if everyone had answered? Or are we oversampling victims and undersampling non-victims? And their research turned up that it's much more likely if you have been victimized or feel you are a victim of this, you're going to answer. So, in fact, it does skew and give you a higher response rate than if you had a 100% response. And I think that it's very, very interesting because right around the time this big survey from several schools has come out, there was a survey or two at other schools where everyone had to answer, right? Like the University of Kentucky did a survey that wasn't opt-in or opt-out. You had to answer, which I would think would lead to a much more accurate result than what they find. They found that about 5% of students said they had experienced sexual assault. And again, one thing with these surveys, you have to look very carefully at how they are defining this. AAU defined it as everything from what we would call rape, non-consensual penetrative sex, to groping, being groped over your clothes, to unwanted kissing, and also sex that happens 
when you were inebriated. Now, the AAU said, you know, sex while you were incapacitated. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of students really, you know, what's the distinction between intoxicated, incapacitated, well, I was kind of drunk, so are you capturing people who said, yeah, I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been drinking? Okay. There are a number of statistics that are embedded in the national consciousness that were gleaned from opt-in surveys. It's not the case that opt-in surveys of this kind have no worth. What do you think, does the fault, because your article finds fault with how this is reported, where does it lie? Did the authors of the survey do something wrong? Was the step in the colleges themselves, the way they put out the press release, or just the media interpretation and the activists interpreting that study? All of the above. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. All these surveys have to be taken with huge asterisk, depending on who you sample, how you sample them, what questions you ask, how you define sexual misconduct, even the wording of the questions will get you different answers. There's no absolute truth in this, and anyone who says this or that other survey finally proves something is inaccurate. So there's that problem, and one of the issues with this survey, as we've seen over and over, is that you're lumping a whole lot of things together Mm -hmm. to arrive at this 23% of undergraduate women have been sexually violated in some way. You're putting an unwanted kiss together with unwanted penetration. Those seem to be two things that probably should be separated out, or at least you should make very clear the universe of what you're describing. And then the study itself says you cannot take this as proving this is a nationally representative sample. That's way up high in the executive summary. Every headline said one in four, one in five. If it's a much lower number, if it's not one in five, but if it's one in 20, let's say, does that mean our policies should change? Sure, the rhetoric should change. The conception should change. Maybe it's an epidemic. Maybe it's not. There's no real definition of this, but it's a bad problem. We don't need too many more examples of how colleges screw this up. So why can't colleges get better at this, even if it's, uh, oh, great, only 5% of your students are going to get sexually assaulted. You don't have to do anything. I would say, yeah, you still have to do something. If one person experiences this, that's terrible. If one person is the victim of a vile crime, that's something serious that has to be dealt with. I would say if you are the victim of felony sexual assault, much better to place this in the criminal justice system. All a college can do, the worst punishment is expulsion. If someone is a dangerous criminal, we don't want him expelled. We want him put through the criminal justice system. But what's concerning about this study and the touting of this very high number is that it's being used to justify extremely draconian procedures that are severely punishing young men who we don't know. Was this a kind of drunken encounter and he is being accused and he's saying, this is, you know, I understand that's her version. That's not what happened to me. That's not how I experienced it. There's this movement to say, just believe the victim. Just believe. I mean, for 
therapeutic purposes, that's great. For adjudication purposes, not so great. So what do you think needs to change, if anything? I think there is a level of panic that's not warranted. I talked to one of the authors of the study. So University of Michigan had the highest percentage of undergraduate females saying they'd experienced this 30%. Now, if going to a country meant that a female traveler had a 30% chance of being sexually assaulted, there would be a State Department warning. If my daughter was traveling to that country, I'd throw myself in front of the jetway and say, you can't go. So I said to the author of the study, well, should parents say, no, to their daughters, you can't apply to Michigan, you can't apply to Harvard, you can't apply to Yale, it's too dangerous. And he said, well, I don't think that's the conclusion you should draw. All right, well, (laughs) what conclusion do you draw? As I said, you know, all the college presidents put out comments saying they're gravely concerned, hand-wringing, we've got to address this. If you believe 30% of your female students are being sexually assaulted, You need to put in emergency measures tomorrow. You can't do more meetings and trainings. That's a criminal justice epidemic crisis. But since they're not resegregating dorms, since they're not saying there is no alcohol on campus and this is going to be strictly enforced, I think there's a gap between studies like this and what people on campus actually believe. So when you say you don't think that people on campus actually believe this, you... you I think think many people on campus do. Yeah. Let's just say the presidents and top administrators who are responding to this survey, if they believe the survey's results, they are not acting as if they do, because they should be taking this immediate action. If you believe these numbers... Yeah. You can't just talk. You have to do something right now. Yeah. If a a less heinous crime, you know, stealing a laptop, if 22% of the laptops in the dorm were stolen, they'd certainly act differently. Uh, Mike, think about that. Let's say 30% of your students had their laptops stolen. People would not be applying to that college. And you would, you know, you would have a really strong police presence. People would be up in arms. So responding to this saying, this is very terrible, we're going to have more meetings, we're going to have more advisors, that, you know, that's not the kind of emergency action a finding like this would seem to require. Emily Yaffe, her article is called The Problem with Campus Sexual Assault Surveys, Why the Grim Portrait Painted by the New AAU Study Does Not Reflect Reality. Thank you, Emily. My pleasure, Mike. And now the spiel, I mind the stopgap. America is, as Lincoln said, a nation conceived in liberty. De Tocqueville wrote, America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And a hundred years ago, Woodrow Wilson added, sometimes people call me an idealist. Well, that is the way I know I am an American. To these sentiments, these clarion calls to freedom, these aspirational words evoking the city on the hill and the last best hope of earth. Let us now add the following phrase. It was down to the wire, but the federal government is still up and running this morning. Oh, critics have long alleged that we're going to hell in a handbasket, that we've gone off track, 
We said when we went off the gold standard, when we pulled out of Vietnam, when we disallowed prayer in school. Pshaw, I say. America's greatness wasn't undone by an equally great countervailing force. It was chipped away, little by little, by pettiness, defensiveness, fear, and tribalism. And I don't think its greatness went away. I think we never actually got there, but we're striving for it. And we'll say America's not actually going to hell in a handbasket. But maybe we're in a sort of purgatory via pushcart. Because forget about greatness. Mere competence eludes us. It is true that a small coterie of Republicans, and I use that term because I know they'd hate for me to say coterie about them. So it's maybe 40 Republicans of the 247 in the House who are standing athwart compromise shouting no. A writer in the New York Times called them bombastic toxic nihilists. Nancy Pelosi refers to the toxic radicalism of the Republican majority. But there's hardly a movement afoot nationally to blame them because this crisis seems like less of a crisis and more of a muddle. Government does trudge on and trudge is the right word. Here is Rand Paul overseeing the very Senate vote that at least allowed government funding into the second week of December. Yippee. Under the previous order, all post-closure time has expired. The question occurs on the motion to concur with amendment number 2689 in the House Amendment to the Senate Amendment to H.R. 719. The yeas and nays have previously been ordered. The clerk will call the roll. Mr. Alexander, Ms. Ayotte, Ms. Baldwin, Mr. Barrasso, Mr. Bennett, Mr. Blumenthal, Mr. Blunt. Are there any senators in the chamber wishing to vote or wishing to change their vote? If not, the ayes are 78, the nays are 20. The motion to concur is agreed to. Holy Christ, that is dull. That makes filling out a form at the DMV seem like hang gliding on ecstasy. But when asked if there were any prospect for change, if there was any hope, a group of Democratic senators said this. We're working to make it better. We're making it better. We're making it better. We're making it better. And then New York's Chuck Schumer added. Don't let the bad guys get you down. No, no, no. I'm lying to you. What Schumer actually said was not it gets better, but, quote, it's hard to paint a scenario where things get better. Because the audio clip I was playing to you was about the issue of gay rights. Gay rights might have seemed like a struggle to you, but they practically passed by a voice vote and a handshake compared to the issue of funding the government, the actual government that all of these people were elected to serve in. We are in a state more terrible than terrible because it's not terrible. It's predictably dysfunctional. We can, sometimes we have in the past, solve actual crises. I have seen America rally when faced with destruction or injustice. I've seen America overcome galling odds. It makes sense for a country that tells itself, that tells the world that we were conceived in abstract, high-minded notions. A country that has the most heroic and progressive foundation myth. A country that invented the modern notion of what a country should be. But when you think about it, there's really little evidence that America has the wherewithal to dutifully do the hard but boring work of correcting dysfunction, to tweak its flaws, to correct a wrong, a harmful wrong, 
but a bloodless one, where the visuals aren't huddled masses or war-torn innocents or sobbing children, where the score is not provided by John Williams or Aaron Copeland. We struggle with the boring business of making our system work better, even though it's our elected leader's job to do just that. And I also might add, it is our people's job to pay attention and care and elect the right leaders and not demand the rousing music, the steel-eyed hero, the vanquished enemy. We're stuck in a rut. It's our own damn fault. And it's going to take a measure a bit more than a stopgap to span the chasm. Oh, hell, I'm depressed. Let's go out on a truck commercial. It's not just a new truck. It's a new F-150. That's it for today's show. The flashy and glamorous Andrea Salenzi Gist producer continues to woo buyers with her luxurious interior and lane-hogging road presence. Andy Bowers, just executive producer, offers a maximum towing capacity of 8,300 pounds. The Gist. Our ride quality is buttery smooth, but our handling, not surprisingly, is less than athletic. Oomperu, de Peru, du Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>